0: The philosophy behind any good coach needs to be to empower and enable the, the crew or, or the sports team that you're coaching not to need you anymore. Um, that, that, that when they, you push them off for the pinnacle event, that, that they know exactly what they need to do and, and you're, you're surplus to requirements at that stage.
1: Welcome to a very special series of Realising Your Potential from Accolade Wines. Our purpose is to enrich everyday moments through our amazing and award winning wine brands. The driving force behind our business is people, and as a proponent of community, we believe some of the most powerful learning comes from people sharing their own stories. In this series, we continue to explore the topic of high performance by speaking to those involved in elite sport and are privileged to also hear from those involved in one of the most exciting communities of Paralympics and Olympics. I'm your host, Ange Murphy, Chief People and Communications Officer at Accolade Wines. So join me as we explore this fascinating world of elite sport. In today's episode, I speak with Dustin Butler. Dustin was assistant coach to the South African Lightweight Four, who won gold at the London Olympics. Dustin, welcome to Accolade Wines.
0: Thanks very much for having me, Ange, and uh, thank you for the invite.
1: Can we just kick off with a little bit about yourself and your background?
0: Uh, Yeah, I'm native South African, if uh, the accent doesn't give it away. Um, Pretty normal upbringing in South Africa. Um, Went to an all boys school uh, in Johannesburg, uh, which probably exposed me to some sports, uh, that I wouldn't have otherwise have had the opportunity in, in participating in such as rowing. Um, after school, uh, went to university to, to study sports science, um, and became a little bit disillusioned with the course that I was doing. Um, at the time of, uh, of studying, I was also doing some part-time work, uh, in the coaching space, rowing coaching, uh, though I never really saw that as, as a career path. Um, and, uh, after becoming disillusioned with my course for a little bit, I took a, a year out from university to sort of get my bearings and and delve deeper into the coaching. Where I, I landed a job at a, at another all boys school in in Johannesburg, um, and was given the position as a first aid rowing coach and a, a little bit of a housemaster duties on the side of that, and and really enjoyed that space and and continued it with it, uh, and ended up not going back to university regretfully, I suppose this time of my life. Um, and yeah, that, that sort of forged a path. Um, I, loved, I loved the coaching and, and just carried on and uh, coached uh, the first day at the, at the school, St. John's College for, for five years before uh, moving on to become, uh, to take a, a job with the national team, South African national team. Um, I spent four years coaching there uh, in the run-up to the London Olympics. Um, after that, uh, spent two years coaching in London um, which I didn't enjoy as much. Um, and then uh, was fortunate enough, well, my partner was offered a job in, in Sydney and uh, we've been happily living here for six years now.
1: Amazing experience. Did you pinch yourself when you got the role for the National South African team? Because I look at those roles and I think that must just be an amazing experience to work with all of those athletes and coaches.
0: Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, I was actually thinking of getting out of rowing coaching, going back to university and, and getting into sort of more business degree or or economics Um, and it just happened that I was I went to watch the the national team trials and uh, the national team coach tapped me on the shoulder and asked if I didn't actually want to do some coaching with the under 23 national team which I then jumped at and uh, we had a pretty successful run Uh, and then sort of a couple months later I was offered a full-time role with the national team. Um, I was only 26 at the time Uh, and I think uh, part of the reason I was right time right place um, and just uh, saying yes I think uh, I don't think uh, you know the opportunity was given to me because I was naturally that talented or that good at the time but I just happened to be in the right place at the right time and, and said yes to the opportunities when they were given to me and the, the role was pretty low paying um, and I think I was possibly the only one that that said yes to the role and the pay <laughs> um, but uh, the opportunities that came from that were were staggering and and yeah, it was very much a dream come true. Um, I remember being in the interview for the for the role and being incredibly nervous and barely getting my words out. And uh, when I was given the job, I was tremendously excited. Yeah.
1: Being that young and going into a national team, did you have support from other coaches in transitioning into that role as a, as a coach or was it more about you had to work it out as you went along?
0: Um, initially, no. Um, I was kind of thrown in and, and I was given the role of coaching the lightweight four initially in 2010, backed on the success of successfully coaching an under-23 lightweight team the year before. Um, and what I found is I was, I was coaching basically my peers, guys that were, were similar age to myself. Um, and I think that year I, I really struggled with you know, having enough distance from the squad to actually make objective calls and, and, and coach them well enough. Um, and I'm afraid so that the, the, the squad probably ran me more than I ran it. Um, and uh, the following year, um, a very experienced coach, Paul Jackson, uh, was brought on board to help. Um, and, and that, that was, was fantastic for me because he, he provided, you know, mentorship that I was very grateful for at the time. Um, and, uh, we worked successfully together in the lead up to London. Um, and I found, found that, um, really helpful. Um, just a, an outside voice to, to help me and guide me, um, was really important. I guess when you're 26, 27, you probably think, you know, it all, uh, and then it all comes crashing down that you don't know anything. Um, and, uh, he he really gave me some, some solid guidance, just pointing to me what, where I needed to develop, but also, you know, building me up and showing me what I, what I actually did know. And he empowered me a lot too. Um, so yeah, very grateful for, for that mentorship.
1: You spoke about the crew running you, I think not you sort of running the crew. I'm not sure if that's the right way, but I assume that the dynamics between a coach and an athlete or a coach in a crew is a is a fine one, really. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? Because I suppose a little bit like being a leader in the workplace, there has to be a fine balance between sort of being um, supportive and, and almost a bit of a engaging as a friend, but also being their boss, um, if I put it in a work context.
0: Yeah, well, I think the, the position I was put in, Uh, I think I was 26, 27 and a couple of years older than than the guys I was coaching. And and they had been more successful in in their rowing than I had been in their coaching. And I just wanted to kind of be accepted by them and and probably liked by them. Mm. Um, But I don't think they necessarily respected me that much. Um, Yeah. So I, I, it was constantly advised of me to to get a little bit of distance away from the the guys. I was probably too close to them and, you know, enjoyed their company and, you know, we're, we're still good friends today, but I think that the year preceding that I did did take on that advice and, and and moved away from from the lads a little bit um and as a result I think I got more out of them um but I was also reflective and 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 then took what was said to me on board I think um and used that um so the following year was was far more successful um I think also I had a lot more confidence in myself um but at the same time I think Paul Jackson Kind of leveraged my relationship with the athletes so so he was happy to to sort of you know play a bad cop role while i was a good cop role and you know we had different relationships with the different athletes um, and i think we, we used that there were some athletes that i i could could chat to a little bit easier than he could and and vice versa um, so i think you know leveraging our strengths was was important in in the, the ultimate success you know a couple of years down the line in 2012.
1: what was your motivation to become a coach I mean you said that you weren't really enjoying your course did did you fall into it and then become more passionate about it or was there an inherent desire to coach Uh,
0: I've been passionate about sport my whole life I think five six years old I can remember sitting in front of the tv and and watching you know sports for the entire Saturday and Sunday and, and participating in loads of sports and yeah, so I've, I've loved it my whole life. I've been pretty sports-obsessed my whole life. Um, and, yeah, probably, you know, growing up in South Africa, rugby is a big sport And the school. I went to big rugby school, and uh, rugby was probably a big passion of mine. And, you know, I at times probably was more interested in the behind-the-scenes stuff than I was in, in, in sort of the playing. Um, and uh, I was also a big, big – uh, Lover of cricket and played cricket and became disillusioned with cricket in, in my last year of of school and and a friend convinced me to to do some rowing to get fit for the rugby um, and and the rest is history there um, but again delving into rowing I became really interested in sort of the the more you know the finer details behind behind rowing and you know training modalities and all that and that's probably the beginning stages of the internet but I remember you know googling or whatever the search engine in those days was you know best methods of training and became really really interested in that and i think uh, yeah that that's probably forged you know my path to to university and and then and then into the coaching I, I was always more more interested in the behind the scenes i guess
1: when we talk about the behind the scenes data has become more and more increasingly part of way that athletes train how important is the data for you personally to help coach and for the athlete
0: yeah i think it's a double-edged sword i think incredibly important in some ways um but i think i'm not sure interpretation of the data has evolved with our ability to measure measure data um so i think we're becoming increasingly good and, and the technologies are getting better um, for measuring things, but I'm not sure our understanding of what we're measuring is is moving at the same pace. Um, so I, I collect a lot of data to, to help inform me but very much to help inform me it's not not the only thing that leads, leads my decision. I think subjectivity and is still still a big part in, in, in making boats go faster or selecting teams but I think ultimately you're still falling on on, on the subjectivity but using the data to help guide you.
1: I think, is it more probably understanding holistically what's going on even outside with the athlete? Yeah, I assume it's not just um, that could impact performance as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you just, when you're collecting data, sometimes you just got a, a single data point and it's, it's important not to make decisions or rash decisions off, off a singular point. And, and you've got to collect data over time. But again, just your interpretation of your dat- the data, understanding the data, I mean, something like heart rate monitors are you know, pretty commonplace now and, and pretty easy to get your hands on. But I think the understanding of, of what that heart rate actually means, um, particularly for the layman is sometimes a little bit skewed and, um, not well understood. Um, and potentially you're making important decisions on, on data you don't understand. Um, yeah, so, so definitely a, a useful tool and I'm, I'm not rubbishing data in any way. It's definitely, um, playing a more important role, the longer I'm in sport for sure um but you still got to err on the side of caution and and sometimes just trust your instincts a little bit
1: you talked about your passion for sport and being involved in sport from a really early age it sounds like going to the olympics with a Within a, with a crew is a dream job. But I'm sure there's some hardship as well. Can you, you just talk about the positives and negatives of um, being involved at, at the Olympics?
0: Um, hardships, setbacks are, are all part and parcel. There's, there's no crew sitting on the start line of the Olympic Games that, that hasn't dealt with hardships, that hasn't dealt with difficulty. I mean, every one of those those crew members and out of the four, I, I saw all of them at some stage during the process in tears um for whatever reason whether it be injury you know life pressures or whatever the case may be it's it is incredibly demanding incredibly difficult uh, and sometimes you've got to wonder if the payoff at the end of it is worth it but I think it is um yeah and I, and I, I also think the hardships and, and setbacks are probably what galvanized the, the crew um in the end I mean I, I'm not sure we would have would have succeeded at the end of it all if we if we hadn't been through some of the hardships we had we we learned a lot of hard lessons in the in the years preceding the olympics which which set us up for the success we we made a lot of mistakes and and learned from those mistakes but those mistakes were were really important in getting things right going into the olympic games with that said i think there was an awareness in the olympic year that something special was happening I, i remember having a meeting sort of four months out and and positivity in the room and everyone just being in awe of what we were doing and what we were achieving was palpable and and there was awareness that that success was on the cards um and that something special was was afoot um so so that was pretty special to be a part of um but the, the years before was was littered with with a lot of uh a lot of hardship, a lot of setbacks, um, but like I say, I think it's part and parcel. Anyone that that thinks that that's not part of an Olympic athlete's journey is is probably mistaken, and it's it's much harder than I think people people realise.
1: Mm. There's two things that you spoke about there that I'm really interested about. First of all, so in the final year, when you said that palpable feeling around success that something something magical was you know happening, how do you manage that emotion or that ego? I'm assuming there could be an ability to get a little bit arrogant. One, how do you manage that emotion? And then the second question is with the setbacks, what do you do to learn from those setbacks?
0: I can't remember a lot of ego, to be honest. I think we had knocked back so many times with the setbacks that the, the ego was in check. And, and we knew that, you know, it was a pretty fragile ecosystem that we were dealing with. And, and if we didn't get the run in completely perfect, you know, we we would we would fall short of what the goals were. Um, so I think, you know, the enormity of what we were aiming for probably kept the egos in check. We were incredibly lucky to work in the team we did. There wasn't a lot of egos, incredibly motivated athletes. In fact, probably too motivated. And, and that was part of what led to success in the Olympic year was just uh, getting a, a common um, a common way of doing things. And um, the motivation in years before had often being a little bit of a hindrance because the guys were motivated in in sort of different ways, and, and just getting direction in that last year was was really important. Um, but yeah, the guys that had had so many setbacks in the years before that, I, I think they were quite aware that a foot either side of of the line could cost them cost them very dearly. We were pretty upfront with the guys that we would we would make the decisions based on the speed of the boat, not not on the individuals. The most important thing in the team was to keep the boat going as fast as possible. And I think everyone bought into that philosophy and, and every, everyone in the team agreed that they were, they were a cog in a much, much bigger wheel. Um, and the important thing was the boat kept on going faster. So decisions were often made that would probably seem harsh, um, but it was all for the, for the betterment of the whole really. Um, and that was that was a philosophy that that ran through through our squad as a whole, which which made it a lot easier to sort of make make those decisions and and ultimately getting close to the Olympics, you know dropping people and and shattering dreams, I guess, um, which is which is very hard to do and never easy. But I think the guys were so bought into that philosophy that it made it made it a lot easier. Everyone out of the four that that eventually towed the line at the Olympics, had some setbacks, some injury, were out of the boats for periods of time. I mean, rowing is, is a brutal sport. I'm biased, but I, it is incredibly brutal and, in terms of the training regime. And, and often it's those that actually simply survive the training uh, rather than thrive in the training that, that get to where they want to go. Um, mm. That is simply the nature of the beast, I guess. So if, in a way it, it weeds out those that, that don't have what is required to succeed um, pretty quickly.
1: Obviously, you know I have a little bit of insight into schoolboys rowing and the intensity that they train at, which is you know I've never seen anything like it. What ten sessions a week or something they do, maybe a little bit more. Um, yeah, ten. Yeah, ten sessions a week, and then you know for a six-minute race, yeah, that 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 it, it it feels quite skewed sometimes to think, wow, there's that so much time and effort for such a short amount of performance.
0: Yeah, I think it's the balance of the sport. It's you know power and endurance and and highly technical so you know to revi- refine all those aspects of the sport just just takes a lot of time and you know a lot of volume and <laughs> unfortunately there's no getting around it really you know the, the more you do something the better you become at it um and with it having such a large endurance comp- uh, component again the, the more time you spend with your heart rates elevated uh the better you you typically become pretty simple in those terms i guess but
1: and then the other reflection I had was that when you push them off that pontoon to head down for that 2,000-metre race, that's it, you don't see them again. It's not like a footy coach who can stand on the sideline or be in the box and call. Yeah. How do you, I suppose, create trust and know that when they, they you push them off that they'll perform the race plan?
0: The philosophy behind any good coach needs to be to empower and enable the the, the crew or, or the sports team that you're coaching not to need you anymore um, that, that, that when they, you push them off of the pinnacle event that, that they know exactly what they need to do and 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 you're, you're surplus to requirements at that stage um, with that said it's, it's pretty terrifying because you have no control um, and I remember my days as a rower versus my days as a coach I'm far more nervous as a coach pushing, pushing that crew off than I was sitting in the boat myself um, yeah but I mean I think what inspires confidence on the day for your crew and yourself is just believing that you've done everything in your power to set yourselves up for the result that you want. Yeah. Um, so it comes down to, to good, honest, hard work, um, clear directions, I guess, and, and understanding exactly what you've got to tick off before that that pinnacle event and on the day. But, yeah, I mean, my, I know that the results – that I've treasured the most and that have been the best have have always had extreme confidence when that crew was pushing off so the Olympic Games. Probably, I I really believed we were going to win uh, because I of th- the work we had done. Yeah, I, I think the whole crew did. I think we 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 had a genuine belief that we were going to win. Definitely a medal. I mean that that was non negotiable. But we we wanted to win. There's no no question. Mm-hmm. Um, it had been sort of a mantra the whole from the start actually in 2011. Uh, at the Olympic qualification regatta um, we were point 0.1 of a second from not qualifying for the Olympics at all we, we, wow. we were the last crew to go through to the Olympics and I think the spread in that race of six um, there was a second covering the whole, entire field so we, we, it was very close between that and not going and, and when we reconvened for the next season for the Olympic year one of the boys sort of cavalierly said if, if we're going to go to the Olympics we may as well win um, and that kind of set the tone. We laughed at the time, but, um, but the boys really believed in it and, and took that on um, and just adding sort of different elements, consultants, coaches, you know, doctors that diagnosed athletes with with problems that we didn't know they had. All led led to the result um, in London, you know, a year later. But I mean, the boys worked extremely hard. Um, we had the dream run, like we said, no injuries, no illness in a, an Olympic you know with loads of injury and illness to have the olympic year where, where there wasn't a single incidence was yeah was probably a little bit of luck but i think the preparation of the, the three years before that that set us up for the result that, yeah that we got yeah
1: it's a great race and i'm going to encourage everyone on this podcast to um, google it and watch it because it's um it's a really fantastic race to watch <laughs> You said early on that when you moved to London, you didn't really enjoy it. What, what was the difference between what was happening in London and what you were doing that you didn't really enjoy it, if you're happy to share that?
0: Yeah, look, I think um, probably a few things. I wouldn't blame London uh, solely for for the, for the my, my time there and the experience I had, but, um, you know, I'd come off a very big high um, and uh, I think my expectation was, like, when I started coaching in the national team, I was like, this is something I love and my life goal is, is to win an Olympic gold medal. And then that happened three years later and and that box had kind of been ticked. Um, and, you know, I, I struggled for motivation afterwards and sort of a sense of purpose afterwards because I didn't know how, you know, things were going to get that better or if I was willing to, to go on that journey again to, to, to get that accolade um so that was difficult um i wanted to be motivated but i wasn't motivated so that 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 created a little bit of angst um so it was quite a bit of a low after after the olympics i guess and then sort of working in a in a club environment in london where i was dealing with athletes that had had other interests besides just rowing was was also a shift that i I probably didn't adjust to well enough um, you know I was all in with the coaching and you know coaching was all all I did every day and I, I dealt with athletes that you know were in the same mindset um, before that and I was working with very different athletes and I, I probably struggled to connect to the athletes as a result um, I think that coupled probably with the, the London London weather and the UK weather rain and, and darkness um, coming from you know sunny South Africa was probably a bit of adjustment and I've got to admit a, probably if I'd seen a doctor, I probably would have been diagnosed as, as depressed. Mm. Um, yeah, so I, I struggled and probably left two years later, not completely with my, my tail between, between my legs. I, we, we, we were reasonably successful in my time at the club. Um, but in terms of enjoy success from enjoyment, because living overseas is something I'd, I'd always wanted to do. Um, so yeah, that was, that was difficult, but, was pretty grateful to get the opportunity to come to Australia. My partner, my wife now, um, she was offered a job in Sydney, um, and we took, took the opportunity. I, I actually was thinking about getting out of rowing, but when I landed landed a job at, at Sydney University as the assistant coach, I later on took on the role as director. But I think the the problems from the years in London hadn't really um, been resolved. I was still struggling for motivation and. I kind of took a year off as offered opportunity of uh, running the elite athlete program at Sydney university, just doing maternity leave cover for a year. Um, And that kind of reset the clocks and decided I missed it and and went back to coaching and I've actually thoroughly enjoyed it since.
1: And then had a really successful year last year with Scots with them winning the head of the river for the first time in 41 years, which we were all very excited about.
0: (sighs) Yeah, that, that was, that was fantastic and somewhat unexpected and yeah. Bit of lack a bit of preparation and planning as always um but yeah great to to knock that one in the head and and hopefully more success to come in, in the future
1: you're you are now training schoolboys rowing and you know i'll let the people know that you train my son i mean obviously training schoolboys is very different again to training olympic athletes how has your coaching changed and also it seems like you learn a lot from your time in London that would be beneficial to how you approach um, schoolboys rowing, because obviously schoolboys aren't 100% dedicated to rowing as well. You know, either they're there because they have to do a summer sport or they really are there because they really love it, but they're, you know, competing with a whole range of things that are going on in their lives. So so what's your approach?
0: Yeah, it's, it is different. I, I have, you know, sort of oscillated between sort of club and high performance coaching and school coaching between the Olympics and, and moving to London, I guess you've got far, a little bit less time with the schoolboy athletes. There's always, it always feels like they're going to the next thing and yeah. you, you don't have that time to just sort of sit down with them and, 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 and chat through, you know, difficulties they may be having or, or how to improve as, as clearly as, as you could with, with the elite athletes that had had a little bit more time in their hands. Um, yeah, and, and balancing multiple commitments with schoolboys is, is really the trick and, and, and trying as best you can not to demand too much of their time in, in any one area. Um, yeah, I think you, you touched on, you know, some of the boys, you know, have to be there rather than want to be there. And, and that's some of the difference that the motivation levels of the boys are quite different. Sometimes, you know, some of the boys in, in a crew or in a squad are, are highly motivated and, and really want to be there. while well, others are oh, a little bit under duress and because they have to be. Um, so just, just getting alignment and the goals and, and motivation there can be a little bit tricky. Um, I guess school kids, I mean, I think it gets underestimated. I think certainly that school kids are under a lot more pressure than they were when I was at school. Mm. Even when I was coaching at school level, they just seem to have a lot more on and, and there's a lot more expected of them. Um, yeah. So I, I feel that like they're under more stress than professional athletes probably.
1: Yeah, um, you're absolutely right. There's a lot of pressure on them.
0: We do, when writing a program, actually think about the, the whole athlete and, and the whole person really and, and you know, what other are are the commitments they have and, and what other things they might get to. And, and we do try our best to, to balance it, but there is also the end game that if you want to be successful, there is sort of a, a basic amount that you have to do.
1: The positive thing, personally, that I I see though is, for those boys who are motivated, um, it's an excellent way for them to become really efficient with their use of time.
0: Most of the boys come to the sense that load is very demanding and very difficult. The boys do do get a sense of accomplishment out of out of completing sort of a season um, with all the demands and and all the difficulties and, and setbacks, etc. <laughs>
1: I'm a really big supporter of putting physical activity into your day, be it a small amount or a large amount um, for your physical, but also really your mental wellbeing. And I know that you're a big proponent of physical exercise. Um, You know, what's your view on that? And, um, you know, did that help you when you were having your moments of um, motivation issues that we spoke about?
0: Very much so. Um, I would say although I was you know, a full-time rowing coach and, and in the sun all day and, and working with elite athletes, I was considered sedentary. Um, I wasn't doing much at all. I was eating way more than I, I needed to. I probably ballooned up to sort of 100 kilos while I was in in, in London between, between the food, not doing anything and, and hiding from the weather in London pubs. Um, I put on a lot of weight um, and, uh, yeah, decided I, I needed to do something about it. Um, there's a race in South Africa that's you know it's a it's kind of a big deal, probably akin to sort of our Melbourne Cup or a AFL Grand Final. day. it's sort of a, a race that uh, stops the nation and the nation watches it on TV all day, um, called the Comrades Marathon, um, which I, I can remember watching as a six-year-old on TV, and I think that that kind of fired up my my sort of juices for endurance sport. Um, and it's something I always wanted to do. And, and I was approaching sort of my mid-30s and thought, you know, if I'm ever going to do this race, I, I need to do it now. Um, so I started started doing some training towards the back end of London. And certainly when I, I got back to South Africa between moving from London to Sydney um, and, and signed up for a marathon, Bit of a, I always need a goal. Um, mm-hmm. And I think a goal that scared me was... Was a good one because you know if I didn't do the training, I was really gonna suffer on the day of the marathon. Um, did my first marathon, which which was a bit of a disaster. It didn't go as as well as I planned. I learned a lot, you know. Even though I was a coach, I made every rookie mistake in the book um, on the day, um, and then just sort of really enjoyed the process and and carried on with it. And and I noticed that my my mindset started changing. Sort of, I was less stressed. I had more energy during the day, although, you know, I was running, running a lot now on top of, you know, my day-to-day job. I actually felt like I had more energy, not less. I've always struggled with the early mornings. Um, and I noticed that the fitter I became, the the less I started struggling with the early mornings. Um, and yeah, my, my mood just generally changed. So yeah, yeah. I'm I'm a big advocate of, of physical activity. That's for sure.
1: I mean, we've talked about running because we're both runners, but, um, and it doesn't matter what exercise you do, but do you find running meditative?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't actually listen to, to anything while I run and I, I I find my mind can wonder. It doesn't, doesn't always wonder. Some days they're you know, not feeling so good and all I'm thinking about is how bad I'm feeling and I suppose yeah. that's meditative in itself. Mm. Um, but yeah, often my mind just wanders, and I, I solve the world's problems, including my own. Um, yeah, I, I, I often find myself thinking about the rowing session that afternoon and, and what I'm going to try to do and, and how I'm going to complete it to the best of my abilities and how I'm going to get the most out of each athlete or, or try solve problems. And, yeah, yeah, I find it very helpful in that regard. Some
1: people say they become really creative. They have really creative
0: ideas. When yeah, yeah. I d- adapt as to the feeling creative when I run. Um, I sometimes wish I had a notepad with me to stop and, and jot some of the stuff I'm thinking down because I often forget most of it when I get back. Yeah. But um, I think the exercise... You know the the meditative exercise is is, is pretty critical and and pretty important and, and and certainly helped you know with my mood and stress relief and yeah just being generally much much happier.
1: I'm trying to run without my watch too, so I don't have the data.
0: Yeah, I think that's important. We're so beholden onto our watch and what we did yesterday and Strava, etc. I I think it's actually negative and and probably hinders improvements and performance because we're always measuring ourselves and the truth is you you can't be better than you were yesterday every day it is a process and it, it goes up and it goes down and yeah I'm, I'm a big proponent of running but i think people taking up running often start the wrong way they're measuring themselves of how they used to be or where they want to go and they just they don't start where they are and and ride the ups and downs and just commit to the process and and the discipline of it we will wind you back the conversation a little bit to to the Olympic crew that I coached, I think one of the things that changed in the year is that we we took sort of a similar philosophy, and we we stopped chasing times and and stopped you know trying to be our best every day, and just kind of took the process that it came with and actually slowed things down. You know, we just in terms of measuring our speed, we actually slowed our speed down of our, our training, and we we got great benefit out of that. Um, I think it's probably something that that elite athletes. Employ, but I think it's poorly understood, and, and but it's still tried, the general public try to replicate it. And I just think the general public probably just go far too hard in their day to day training um, when elite athletes are actually taking really light days and, and doing majority of their, their stuff at really low intensities. Um, and I think if, you know, the layman did the same, they'd probably get more enjoyment, more benefits and, and stay in the sport longer to, to, reap those rewards. The greatest gift you can give a sort of a social runner is just teaching them to run slowly. I think some like Western philosophies about, you know, training is like, you know, no pain, no gain and pushing your limits. I think those are very negative. Um, I think, you know, you want to train without pain in order to gain. Um, absolutely. And, and you can find your limits and, and be careful of finding your limits. Um, I, I see a lot of athletes going to their limit and, and never rebounding and never bouncing back. And I think it's more about pushing your limits away than, than going to find them. And the, the lower your intensity of training, the more likely is you're going to do it for a prolonged period and the more likely you're going to get more benefit out of that.
1: Just finally, because I know we're coming to the end of the time we had. 2020 was challenging. Obviously, you're living away from family and friends. And how have you kept yourself motivated during the year that has been COVID?
0: Um, I feel guilty saying it, but I've had a great year. <laughs> I've enjoyed the year, and I, that's not to say I've I've had I haven't had setbacks. I've had had a few, but you know, pretty small in comparison to what other people might be going through. But I think my just my expectations have been thrown out the window for the year. Like I think often we we have a lot of stress because we expect things to go a certain way or our plans to be fulfilled. And and when they don't that creates the stress. And I've I think the buzzword is pivoting this, this year. And, and I've managed to pivot pretty well. Like just everything I had a few races planned that I was training pretty hard for and, and I don't know how or why I just managed to just change my focus pretty quickly after that that plan changed um without too much disappointment um i think if it happened over and over again that that might wear thin Um, also had a a wedding plan for last year that that had to change um and was rescheduled twice and eventually cancelled we were set to go back and and get married back home in south africa with friends and family around and and that didn't eventuate obviously and we decided at the end of the year just to to get married in a park in Petersham and, and go to a, a brewery in Merrickville afterwards is our reception. Congratulations. Um, no, thank you. Um, and enjoyed the day day thoroughly. Of course, people were missing that, that we would really like to have been there and, and like to see because um, we haven't seen them for a while. Um, but yeah, other than that, it's been been pretty good. I think, uh, yeah, just just managing expectations, I think, is has been important and I'm not, not worrying when things don't go to plan which is not me because i like in you know my training and coaching i like to thoroughly plan things up but i think i've kind of learned this year and learned pretty quickly that you know things very rarely go to plan and 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 if your expectations are are too aligned to that plan then then that's going to cause a lot of stress
1: and when you do get stressed what do you do how do you relieve the stress any tips
0: go for a run yeah (laughs) yeah that 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 has pretty much been been it yeah like i've always thought of myself i've always been a pretty stressed person i've got i've got terrible teeth and molars from from grinding my teeth but i've just of late and probably the last couple of years just seems to alleviate it and i honestly put it down to to the fact that i've, I've done more exercise mm. um i just a little bit of diet i suppose eating a little bit better too um yeah that's why i'm a proponent of physical exercise because i it just just worked for me and uh, it's been a game changer in some ways.
1: I mean I started more for a fitness thing then I actually found that it was doing more for my clarity of mind than it, I mean it was doing a lot for physically but the clarity of mind was what I was enjoying the most.
0: I think it's probably a better way to be than, than, than how I do it with goals and stuff because I find often when you when you get to the goal race or goal, and even if you achieve the time or whatever the case may be it's actually not as fulfilling as you you'd hoped it to, to be and then and then you move on to the next goal and yeah, I suppose similar to to when we won the Olympics, I just I found the the success itself or the, the achievement of of what the goal was wasn't as fulfilling as it hoped to be. it wasn't fulfilling at all to be honest mm. the old adage I guess it's about the journey yeah. and then at
1: some point we've got to work out what we're going to do when we can't run when we are very very much our bones have you know given up I, um, I
0: agree how I'm going to deal with getting slower is going to be a challenge what I do know is aging slows you down and training makes you faster so you just yeah. got to keep reinventing ways of, of training and, and finding finding gains, I guess.
1: (laughs) Thank you so much. I could talk to you for hours. It's just fascinating.
0: No worries, Ange. Pleasure.
1: What was really clear to me after talking to Dustin is that having clear goals is critical for keeping focus and motivation, that we need to trust the process, even when they're setbacks, and taking full ownership of the things that we can control and letting go of the things that we can't. If we could just take one of those pieces of advice, I think it's going to help. If we could take all three, that's going to be a powerful place to be. Thanks for listening. We love sharing these real stories. So please like, subscribe and share this episode with the people in your community. Feel free to reach out if you want to find out more or have a story to share of your own. Links to get in touch and other great resources are in the show notes. These podcasts would not be possible without a super production team. Big thanks to the team at Martino Consulting for producing this series of Realising Your Potential.